Good morning, church. Great to see you. If you've joined us on campus, so glad you're here. And if you've joined us online, thrilled you've joined us as well. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, last week's sermon was uh, in three parts. Here's a rehearsal. There's a three-legged chicken, which you all remember if you were here. There was a three-word mission statement, Union Chapel's mission statement, why we exist as an organization. Three words, know, grow, and go. You remember? Know, grow, go. I can't, I can't make it any easier. Know, grow, go. And then we had three practices that we invite everyone associated with our church to engage related to those three words in our mission statement. Know Jesus by attending our worship services, growing your relationship with Jesus by <laughs> joining a small group, and go helping other people know Jesus by volunteering to serve. No, grow, go. And, that, and that's the summary. And I know all of you've got that. If you're wondering about the three-legged chicken and you were not, were not here, you need to go back and listen to that, uh, and you'll remember it. If uh, you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians today, and I want to just uh, spend a little time talking about the middle word in our mission statement, which is grow. And the practice, of course, associated with growing is to join a small group. And so I want to talk to you about that just for a little bit this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read three verses, 19 to 22. Uh, our custom is to stand to hear God's word, and so thank you for doing that as you're able. This is the Apostle Paul now writing to the church at Ephesus, and he said, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So you're not just visitors anymore. You're just not casual. You're not on the outside looking in. You're now part of the family, the family of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, now he's using a metaphor of a building to describe the people of God, the church, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. May God give us wisdom and insight into this important passage of scripture. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now, I want to make a statement that I, that I want you to try to get your mind around. It's, it's kind of a big statement, but listen to it. God created the entire universe. God, God created the whole world for one primary purpose. God created the whole universe because he wanted a family. He wanted a family. He wanted meaningful connection with you and me. It's an astonishing thought, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's remarkable that God went to all of this effort to create the whole universe so that he could have fellowship with us. He doesn't want us to be orphans. He doesn't want us to be street kids. He doesn't want us to be out there. He wants to be part of the family. He wants us to be part of the church. Let me put some bullets as we lay a foundation for this, this thinking this morning. The first is this. God formed me for his family. Ephesians 1 says, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so 
he formed me for his family. Here's the second thought. God's family is called the church. We are his family. First Timothy 3, I'm writing to you so you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. The church, the family of God, the support and foundation of the truth. Awesome, powerful, last bullet. I'm called to belong to his church. The Bible says in our passage today, Ephesians 2, so now you are no longer visitors or strangers. Now you are citizens together with God's holy people. You belong to God's family. Now let me just remind you now, rehearse what the church really is. The church is not an event. It is not a program. It is certainly not a building. It is not something you go to. The church is something you belong to. You belong to. It's not an event. It's not a location. The church is about relationship with God and with each other. So in the Bible, the church is often referred to by a a number of different terms. These are like metaphors that God uses in the scripture to identify his family, the church. Those, Those metaphors are family, a temple, we see that in our passage here in Ephesians 2. We're called a body, that's often referred to, the body of Christ. And the church is a flock, and the church is also referred to as a garden or a vineyard. So these five metaphors, which actually are designed, when we understand them well, designed to include us in his family and to meet us, all of us, at the deepest needs of our lives. The most the most essential needs that all of us have as human beings are all realized in the context of meaningful connection in the family of God. Now, that's what this sermon's about, and I want to try to inspire you to think this way. You'll look on the screen with me, if you will. First of all, in God's family, that's one of the metaphors, family, I learn my true identity. I want you to think about that. We're all concerned about our identity. Everyone is. Uh, We're concerned about the clothes we wear, uh, the logos that are on them, the kind of associations we have, the kind of places we go. We're, we're, We're concerned about who we are in the world and trying to create an identity for ourselves in the world. Uh, And we walk around with these logos, these icons, these brands all the time on our shoes, on our shirts, on our bags. They're they're everywhere. And what what is it with these polo icons, like on a golf shirt? The the, the icon, you know, this guy, this polo guy riding a horse, it's like 10 inches. It's, It's as big as the shirt. I refuse to wear them. It's too much. It's too much. Star, Starbucks cups. You know, there are people who walk into Union Chapel every Sunday morning and they're carrying a Starbucks cup because you think it looks cool. <laughs> Did you know we have a perfectly good coffee bar right inside of our church? We think of this kind of stuff as going to make us have an identity, that we find our identity in the clothes we wear, the brands we use, the kind of logos we attach to ourselves. But the truth is, here's here's a big statement, the truth is most of your identity comes from your relationships. Most of our identity, all of us, come from 
our relationships. For example, I have in my life been a grandson. I am a son. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a grandfather. I'm a team member. I'm a small group member. I'm a friend. I'm a pastor. I'm an employee. I'm an employer. All of these are relationships that define who I am. And you can know who you are as you identify the relationships you have with other people. Now, what that means is if my connections or relationships get broken or my connections or relationships are poor, not not the best, then I have a hard time knowing who I really am. I get confused about my own self-identity. I want to submit to you, this is just a personal observation, that most people who who have chronic struggles in their lives are people who have failed to realize who they are as people. The most important thing about who you are and your self-concept, the way you identify yourself, is what God says about you. God says a lot of important, powerful, positive things about you, potential-filled things about you. And so God calls us into his family so that we can have the kind of connections and relationships that will best reflect God's best intentions for us and our own identity. Um, Anyone who's gone through a divorce, for example, sometimes can lose their sense of identity. You know, I've been married to this person for a long time, and now I'm not married to them anymore, or my spouse dies, and suddenly I don't know who I am in the world because my identification was so connected to that relationship. Maybe you have a job that you worked for many years, and you got laid off, or you retired from that job, and now suddenly you're not sure who you are anymore in the world. And it just reminds us of how important our identity is tied to those relationships. Now, some of us, some of us have a testimony. Our story is that we grew up in families that weren't particularly healthy. And, and your family of origin really didn't help you much at all to find a meaningful sense of self and an appreciation for who you are, who your real identity is. I mean, all you got was negative and critical and hurtful. And it's, and it's a challenge for you. But I want to, if, if that's your story, then, then I've got really good news for you today. Here's the great news. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, you are members of God's very own family. You. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. You see, you have a place. You have a family. You have a, a meaningful connection to figure out who in the world you are. Because of the body of Christ, the flock of God, the family of God, you're included. God wants you to be part of his family. I hate to say this to some of you, it may be a shock to you, but your spiritual family is actually more important than your physical family. Your natural family may have been wonderful, may be endearing to you, you value and appreciate it, grateful for it, and all that may be true. But your natural family isn't as important as your spiritual family. Let me explain why. Your natural family is going to come to an end. A natural family doesn't last forever. People grow up, people move away, people get divorced, people die. No physical family lasts. But your spiritual family, think about this, is going to last forever and ever and ever. So when you get your identity from that, then what you have secured is a long-term identity for yourself. Isn't that great? Wonderful promise. 
Now, the problem is we go out trying to look for identity in things that aren't going to last. And the world judges your identity on all the external stuff and not the internal. The world says to you, if you're a, a certain skin color or ethnicity or from a certain culture, you know, in today's, today's American culture, uh, the phrase identity politics has become, you know, a common, common phrase. And, and so people focus on and demand that you, you gather in groups that you identify with in some external way. You know, if you're of Asian descent or African descent or Latin descent, um, you belong to a certain political party, you, you function in a particular kind of job, whatever it is that culture, the, the, the current narrative in the culture suggests that you have to group now with that identification uh, and, and sometimes people in our culture now, they throw up their hands. They say, well, you know, we're just all Americans. You know, can't we all get along? And so we identify as Americans. And it's a, it's a, it's a, fine, it's a fine ambition, and it's a, it's a reasonable detraction from some of this negative connotation that derives from the, uh, the other identification pieces. But there's something more important than all of that. And it is that I'm a member of the family of God. Let me just say this out loud. America isn't going to last. No culture's ever lasted. There are great civilizations that they just thought, well, we're going to go for 1,000 years. You know, for 2,000 years, this civilization is going to be prominent. But let me ask you, where's the Hittite empire? Where's the Assyrian empire? They ruled the world. Where's the Roman empire? They don't last. So if you want your identity to last, you have to put it in something that's never going to change. And that's the invitation today. The Bible says that God's family, the church, is going to go on for all eternity. And that's essentially why God made the whole world to start with. He wants his family to be established and to go on forever. I'm pausing so you can let your mind get around that. It's true. It's an amazing thing. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, Jesus and the people he makes holy all belong to the same family. All belong. This is why he, Jesus, isn't ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is, is, our, is our brother, spiritual brother in the family of God, and he's not ashamed of us. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a brother or sister you're ashamed of? Please don't raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. Two brothers sitting together both raised their hands, <laughs> looked at each other. <laughs> That's hilarious. This is one of the great things about being in the family of God, is that your sin doesn't define you anymore. You're no longer defined in the family of God, no longer defined by the worst thing you've ever done. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but Jesus does, and he is not ashamed of you. He loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you. Into the family. Not outside, in the family. Is this encouraging anyone? I hope it is. Your identity is not your sin. I hope that makes sense. That's why Jesus is not ashamed. You may be a little, 
You may be a little weird in the family of God, but you're still in. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't have to say that. I could have left that out. I was just entertaining myself. I'm sorry. By belonging to God's family, you'll learn your true identity. It's a big deal. This stuff really matters. The identity that was kept hidden from you by the world because the world doesn't want you to know God or why God made you or why in the world you're here. The world doesn't want you to discover that, but God does. A lot of families, to advertise their identity, they have a, they have a symbol or like a family crest. Uh, in, in the Scottish culture, you know, there's a, a special plaid that's fabricated to identify the family. Some groups have special markings, you know, some gangs have special tattoos. People use these symbols to identify themselves. Do you know what the mark, the symbol of being in God's family is? Some of you probably realize what it is. The mark, the symbol of being in God's family is baptism. This is it. Being baptized is the public symbol that says, I am not ashamed to say I am part of the family of God. I'm advertising to the whole world. I, I didn't understand who I was, but now that I have found Christ and Christ has found me, I'm going to give public witness to that. I don't have all the answers to all the questions. I can't explain all of the, all of the details of every aspect of the faith, but I do know this. I believe in Jesus, and I am making a public confession, giving witness to the world that I belong to him and he belongs to me. I'm in the family. That's the mark, water baptism. And if you have not been baptized in water, I encourage you to think about doing it. It's the right thing to do. We just baptized 29 more people last weekend, last Sunday at the picnic, and 29 more people. Dozens and dozens and dozens of people so far this year. That's a really fabulous thing. I have one thing to say if you've been recently baptized. Just as your pastor, I have one thing that I want you to remember. Don't forget your baptism. Don't forget your baptism. Remember it. Hold it close. Because life's going to happen. Stuff's going to happen. Your faith is going to get challenged. You're going you're gonna to feel like God has abandoned you. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be in a season of your life at some point when you wonder if God even cares about you anymore. Don't forget your baptism. Because God has made covenant with you. Just as you gave witness to your faith in him at baptism, God has made covenant with you that he will never leave you, never forsake you. No one can take you out of his hands. Don't forget your baptism. Well, that leads to the second metaphor that we find and, and it's described as a temple. In God's temple, I'm supported by others. 1 Corinthians 3, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and his spirit lives in you? When we were building uh, this particular building years ago, any construction site, uh, I would come over here frequently, of course, and you know they're pouring the foundations, putting the floor in, then the superstructure goes up and all the pieces and parts. And at any construction site, you'll notice that there are the pieces that are going together, that fit together, and they all have to fit together and align perfectly in order for the building to be aesthetic, 
aesthetically pleasing and functional. And at any construction site, you also see other pieces and parts just kind of laying around on the floor. There's a pile of wood over here. There's some metal over there. There's some wiring in the other corner. And there's, there's like a debris field around a construction site. And at the end of the construction, then whatever debris is left that didn't get put in, connected properly to the building, uh, is just swept up and thrown away. And that becomes a metaphor in my mind for exactly what happens in the life of the church. And I've watched this now for over four decades, people who enjoy the church and get excited about their faith and love the church. We just love it here. It just, it just helps our family so much. We're so happy about what God is doing in our lives. And, and I hear stories like that. But I've also observed at the same time people who do not meaningfully connect with other people in the life of the church do not last in the church. Well, I, I'm different, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a loner and I'm different and I, I don't really need a lot of people and, and, uh, and I'm sure you'd be wrong about me. I'm not wrong about you. God has wired us to need each other. The reason buildings work is because all of the pieces and parts fit together in their proper place. The connections are right. And so we appreciate that when a building comes together and becomes functional for, and practical for our usefulness. But in, in the body of Christ, when people aren't rightfully connected, then they, 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 lose, they lose a sense of support that they need from other people. And that's, and that's the way some of you are. You're in the Union Chapel family, but you don't belong to the family because you've never taken the time to get connected. You associate, but you're not really connected. Uh, and, and God wants you to connect because in a building, all of the connected parts support one another. There are going to be times in your life when you need other people to hold you up. If you're not in the building of God, the temple of God, the family of God, the church of God, you're not connected. You're disconnected from the temple of God. Nothing's going to hold you together. Ephesians chapter 2 again, in Christ, the whole body, the building is joined together rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him, Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's a beautiful metaphor, really, really powerful. So because the number, the number one epidemic in our society, as far as I'm concerned, this is my personal opinion, and we talk about lots of epidemics in our world, there are financial, political, social epidemics all around us. I think the biggest epidemic in our society is loneliness. We know that this is absolutely true. This is actually some science to this now that the youngest among us, early teens, teenagers, young adults, those generations in America right now is experiencing a loneliness epidemic. Broken homes, absent fathers contribute to it the inherent weaknesses of social media to authentically connect people is failing to provide the meaningful connections that young people need, the natural tendency in youth toward impatience, all of these and I'm sure other complicating factors contribute to this pain, this hurt, this loneliness. Epidemic proportions, suicide rates, mental illness, dropout, on and on, 
the symptoms go. So let me say something from my heart. Union Chapel is not perfect. This is not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. But it's full of loving people who are willing to help you through the crazy years of life. You, you're old. You don't know what it's like to be a teenager. Hold it. Hold it right there. I was 16 years old three days ago. Can I get a witness? I went to sleep three nights and woke up to this. But I remember, I remember acutely well. I could, we could spend the next five days just listening to me tell stories from my youth because it was just like yesterday where you don't know what we're going through. Oh, yeah. Name something. I'll give you some stories around that subject. We've all been through it. And all I'm saying is not only do we understand what it's like to be young, we're willing to walk alongside of you, to help you, to give you the perspective you need. I have said so many times in my wife's presence, I wish I had someone like me when I was young in my life. At each season of our lives, you know, when we were in our 20s, we thought, you know, I wish we'd had someone like us when we were children. When we were in our 30s, you know, that, that 10 years behind us, we would say, I wish I had someone like me in my life at this phase of my life. And so we know, and we're willing. And there are a lot of people here who, who love you, are willing to help you. And by the way, uh, so would your parents. But sometimes, listen, your parents, your parents know you're hurting, but they don't know how to help. They don't know how to get the conversation started. It's just, it's hard to be a parent. And it's just acutely difficult in today's world. And so we're here. We're here for you. And you can find, find connection here. Here's the third metaphor. This is Christ's body. This is a, a common metaphor. You hear the body of Christ used oftentimes in this context. But in Christ's body, I discover my unique value. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So first, I learn my identity. Then I get stability as God's temple, connected rightly. And now I learn my capacity. This kind of connection in the body of Christ is about my unique value, my capacity in the world. Romans 12, just as there are many parts to our body, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of it. It takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do. We belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. How many of you have ever, uh, by yourself or with, with some friends, tried to put a big jigsaw puzzle together? And you got, you know, hundreds or more pieces in these big puzzles and you're working it and it takes you days, you know, and you're just working it and you're determined to finish it. And you get to the end and you discover a piece is missing. How many of you have had that happen to you? Frustrating, isn't it? 
That is precisely what happens in the body of Christ when an individual, just one of you, decides, I'm not going to play along. I'm not going to fulfill my role. I'm not going to take my place. And the whole body gets, gets hurt by it. 1 Corinthians 12. If your foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand. That doesn't make any, it any less a part of the body. If your ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a, an eye. Would that make it any less a part of the body? Ephesians 4, in Christ's body, we're all connected to each other. And so again, the metaphor of a body. So the foot can't say, look, I'm not part of it because I'm not a hand. Or the eye, I'm not because I'm not an ear, vice versa. And of course, when you hear that, you go, well, th those are rhetorical questions. And it's obvious every part is valuable. Every last single one of us has an important role to play a value to add to the body of Christ. And so everyone should participate. Everyone should get involved. Everyone should connect because this makes us whole and functional and more influential in the world. This is God's design. This is his plan. And so in Christ's body, I discover my unique value. Here's the fourth metaphor. It's described as a flock. In God's flock, I'm protected and I'm cared for. Now think about a flock of sheep. That's the metaphor. There's a flock of sheep. And in John chapter 10, here's Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. A hired hand runs away because he cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. They listen to my voice and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And this last phrase, last phrase, Jesus says, no one will ever be able to snatch my sheep out of my hand. Glory to God. Listen, we're part of the flock and we, we have a good shepherd who lays down his life for us and protects us and nurtures us and keeps us. And no one can snatch us out of his hand. You say, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is for me. When really is this important? Well, when you're getting beat up in business, it can be important. When your marriage is strained, it can be important. When you're facing some personal crisis, your child has become wayward or you've been given a very difficult diagnosis by your physician. It's moments like that that you need to know that someone is protecting and caring for you, that you're part of a flock, that you have a shepherd, the ultimate good shepherd in Jesus and the rest of us who will stand guard for you. What you need in your life are people who will step up, take their place in your life when you need them. You need some people who walk into your life when other people tend to walk away and walk out of your life. Let me ask you a question. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Are you that person for someone in their life? That's what it means to be part of the flock. So we not only have pastors here to help in the flock of God, we also have small groups. Did you know that 58 times in the Bible the phrase one another is used? It says love one another, care for one another, help one another, encourage one another, support one another, pray for one another, greet one another, 58 times. And what you will discover sooner or later is that you can't do these one another's 
that are prescribed 58 times in the Bible in a group of hundreds of people. You have to have a smaller circle of people in order to do for one another what the Bible teaches. And the only way you can do that is in a smaller fellowship circle, like a small group, because you can't do those things with, with so many numbers of people. Galatians chapter 6, share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all of your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. That's it. There's just really one law. Love people. Care for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, encourage each other and give each other strength. So here's the question. Who is looking out for you? And who are you looking out for? You saw these uh, beautiful families in the video that we produced. Let me ask you, uh, could I ask any of the persons in those small groups, who is looking out for you? Would they have an answer to that? And who are you looking out for? Would they have an answer to that question? Of course. So in God's flock, I'm protected, I'm cared for. You got it? Okay, last one. Here's the last one. In God's garden, it's a vineyard or a garden, my life becomes productive. A garden, specifically a vineyard, you grow like fruit. Here's what John 15 says. Some of you are familiar with this. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I'm the vine, you are the branches. A branch cannot bear fruit if it's severed from the vine. You cannot be fruitful apart from me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. It's about fruitfulness, connect, staying connected to the vine. The point is, a disconnected branch cannot bear fruit. God has all kinds of fruit he wants to bear in your life. He wants to bear through your life. But you can't do any of the fruit God has for your life unless you're connected to the vine and to the church. You have five basic needs in your life. You need identity, you need stability, you need to understand your capacity, you need to know you're secure, and you need to know you're productive. All five of these things are found in the family of God. Let me say it another way. If you're in your life, you need power to live on, you need people to live with, you need principles to live by, you need a plan to live out, you need a purpose to live for. All of these Basic needs of every one of us is met when we have meaningful connections with the people of God. So here's my one question. Why should you remain disconnected when a church like this has so much to offer? I mean, what are you waiting for? Now I have a great opportunity. In two weeks, on the 27th of August, we're going to start a series, a 13-week series that we're, we're describing as This I Believe. This I Believe. We are very excited about this. John Wesley came along in history and he said, in essential things, unity. So there are essential things that we believe. The, the fundamentals of the Christian faith, essential things that we should believe, and in those essentials, we should all agree. There should be unity there. He said, in non-essential things, there should be liberty. 
Now, there's a thousand different reasons in the Christian faith for us to disagree. They're not essential things. They're not essential, and so, and so we can live and let live, think and let think, agree to disagree. There's a thousand different subjects like that. And Wesley reminded us that we should have liberty with one another in that regard. And then finally, in all things, he said, charity or love is our highest value. What we're going to do for these 13 weeks, starting in two weeks, is we are going to work through 13 different messages that, that we see as essentials, the fundamentals, the basics of the Christian faith. We're just going to lay a foundation. Those of us who have walked with God for many, many years, this will be reassuring, reaffirming to our faith. This will, this will help stabilize us once again if there's, if there's questions there. And for those of you who are new to the faith and just starting this journey, this will be essentially important for you just to get a, a firm place upon which to stand. We're using a material in a book called Disciple from a new friend of ours named Eric Fish. It's, it's 67 pages. It's short. We're selling them today. Everyone should buy a copy. They're two bucks. Two bucks. If you don't have two bucks and it, maybe you don't have two dollars, just tell the person at the table, I don't have two dollars. They'll give you a book. I want everyone to have a book. And the best way to go through this series is in a group, in a small group, because the book's set up so that you can read some scripture and then there are just questions that you can have discussion around. And it may be as simple as getting in a small group and asking, what did you hear in this week's message? What, what did you hear that was meaningful to you? And just have a conversation about that. What we know, because of what I'm teaching right now, is that we're better together and when we're connected and, and, and taking advantage of all of the blessing that God has for us when we are rightfully connected, that it's in that context that our life begins to grow. Life transformation happens best when we're connected with one another. This is, this is how we make progress in the Christian faith. We grow in our understanding. Our character develops. And when we share life together, it's just, this stuff matters. It's a big deal. We have, we have over 50 groups already in place. You can join one of those. Uh, there's a, there, these handouts that Pastor Jeff mentioned to you on the, near you on your seat. There's a QR code. Just use your phone. It'll take you right to the link where you can sign up for a small group. There's a small group table in the lobby where you, when you're leaving today, you can, you can sign up there. If you just go to our webpage, on the, on the toolbar at the top of our webpage, unionchapel.com, there, there are three words there on the toolbar. They are know, grow, and... Now, if you were looking for information about a small group, which of those would you click on? The grow, that's right, there you go, the grow. (laughs) Somebody just went, I was going to go, I I just wanted to go. This is why I didn't teach school, too frustrating. So, so, so you go to grow and then you, then you click on that and scroll down and it says small groups. And then you click on that. And then this whole menu comes out, all of the groups that we currently have and when they meet. And you, you go, Tuesday evening, that's, that's perfect for me. And close to my neighborhood. And so you click on that. And, you, and then you click join. And then the leader of that group will contact you to make sure everything's all together to invite you to come. It's, 
easy to get signed up, and I hope you will. Or maybe you don't find anything there that suits your schedule. Well, just volunteer to be a host. Host, host a group in, at your business or in your home. And we're going to do these 13 weeks together. It's not a life sentence. 13 weeks. And it's going to be life-changing. Do you, do you sense God's favor right now? I, I sense the pleasure of God in our church. So many wonderful things are happening. And I believe he's going to bless those 13 weeks in special, miraculous ways. And I want to invite you to be part of it. Now, could we pause just for a moment and pray about the things we've heard this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? Let me say, let me say to different groups of people listening to me this morning, maybe you attend, but you don't really belong. And you know what I mean. Now's the time for you. You're called to belong, to be connected, to be associated, to be, in, to be involved. I'm, I'm talking to some folks today, you, you know, your families, they live a long distance away. They don't, they don't live near like we used to have five generations in the same town. That, that doesn't happen much anymore. So for many of you, your family is a long way. Many of you are single. You're single adults. Some of you are, are in unsupportive families or even marriage relationships. You know, you can't get your spouse to come along. They don't support you spiritually. No matter where you are on the spectrum, we will be your family. Maybe I'm talking to someone today, all your life you've tried to fit in and you've tried to belong and you've looked for places to belong. You just want to be accepted. You just want to belong somewhere. But the truth is, you'd say, I've never felt I belonged anywhere. I want you to hear me. You belong here. You belong here. And regardless of who you are or what you've done, you're welcome. You're welcome in this family. So Lord, we call upon you this day to meet each one of us. You know each one of us is unique and special. I pray that you would speak to us at the very center of our need. Because we need to know who we are, our identity. We need to be stable. We need to understand and increase our capacity. We need to know we're safe. And God, that you've called us to be productive. All of these things, essential things made possible in God's family. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Give us the courage, conviction, passion we need to take the right next steps to the end that we bring honor to you and that the church strengthens and the light shines brighter. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. Would you stand with us?